Plant-based foods are so nutrient-dense, you feel full, and that's a good thing. You turn on a movie or a ball game and you open a bag of Doritos, how hard would it be to eat a thousand calories of Doritos? Try to eat a thousand calories of apples or blueberries or broccoli. It can be a little bit of a challenge. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries and healthy cities coast to coast. Parkersburg, West Virginia, Scotts Bluff, Wyoming, Luanda, Angola, Africa. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 44 of season 5, number 343 overall. Getting enough calories while eating a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. For most of us, that's not much of a concern. But from time to time, we will hear from exam roomies who say, I think maybe I've lost a little bit too much weight, or maybe my husband or my wife is just a little bit too thin now. So what is the sweet spot when it comes to weight loss? How can you be sure that you are getting enough calories on your new diet? Dr. Jim Loomis is the medical director at the Barnard Medical Center, and he will be here to answer that question today. You may also know Dr. Loomis from the Game Changers documentary. Great guy, one of my favorite guests here on the show. And... Because this is the exam room live, we're going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag, raising our health IQs together by answering your questions, many questions that you all have sent in here for the show today. So we were just wondering about calories and maybe losing too much weight, but what about the opposite end of the spectrum? Talking about more calorically dense foods, avocados and pasta, how do they factor in when it comes to maintaining a healthy weight? And if you're into tracking nutrients, what's the best way to do it to make sure that you're getting enough of this or enough of that? Is it as simple as an app or maybe even a little bit more rudimentary with just pen and paper? He's going to weigh in on what he has found to be the best way to keep track of everything. And then we're going to be talking about the Houdini of heart disease, the great vanishing act of plaque in your arteries. So when you're reversing heart disease, where does that plaque go? (laughs) Plus, Dr. Loomis is going to be commenting on a notion that is out there. Maybe you've seen this on social media that vegetables have no nutritional value. How could that be? Plus, almonds versus peanuts, which is the healthier option, and a lot more to fill up our plates here on the show today. So without further ado, let's kick off the exam room live and welcome Dr. Jim Loomis as we raise our health IQs together. My friend, good to see you again. Good to see you. It's been a while. It's been a while since you've been on the show, caught up with you not too terribly long ago at the Fairfax Fest. I know that you've been out traveling the world, um, and now that things are kind of reopening, have you noticed that people's appetite for health is as ravenous as ever? Oh, it's crazy, Chuck. I was just, I literally just got back uh, yesterday from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I spoke at the the Tulsa Veg Fest. And, uh, you know, there was probably a thousand, couple thousand people there. I mean, and we had this amazing Q&A uh, and people are so hungry, no pun intended, but they're so hungry for this information, I tell you. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the 
we've been kind of bottled up with travel the last few years too, as far as medical conferences. So, so uh, I've got a pretty busy uh, travel schedule coming up the rest of the summer, which is good because this is a too important a message not to share with the rest of the world. Absolutely. So let's serve up some of that health knowledge, pun definitely intended there, and <laughs> open up the doctor's mailbag. And let's begin with that question about calories on a whole food plant-based diet. How can you make sure that you're getting enough? Question from Robbie Lynn. Flat out, how do you know if you're getting enough calories while eating a whole food plant-based diet? Well, the, the simple answer is if you're not losing weight, then you're getting enough calories, right? So it's because um, um, it, it, at a fundamental level, our you know, calories in, calories out kind of determines that. That's not exactly true. We'll, we'll, we can talk about that in a second. But so as long as you're not losing weight, um, you know, you're going to get plenty of calories. Now, the, the challenge oftentimes come in, in people that are very athletic or, you know, who, who burn a lot of calories every day. Uh, because in fact, that can be a challenge, um, you know, getting, getting the kind of normal 1800 calories a day, maybe 2000 calories a day that the average person might need is pretty straightforward. Uh, but when you're, when your calorie needs jump up above that, say you're training for a marathon or you're, a, you know, you're, 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 you're very actively, very, very active lifestyle. It can be challenging. And then the reason is, I think you said in the intro, it has to do with that calorie density versus the nutrient density, because plant-based foods are so nutrient dense you know, you feel full without getting all the calories. And, and that's a good thing. It, it, they are calorically self-limiting, um, the, the, a whole food plant-based diet. I mean, I imagine, you know, you turn on a movie, you turn on a movie or a ball game and you open a bag of Doritos, you know, how hard would it be to eat a thousand calories of Doritos before the game's over, the movie's over? I mean, not hard at all, right? Try to eat a thousand calories of, of apples or blueberries or broccoli in, in a week almost. I mean, you're talking nine, 10 pounds of food. So, so it, it can be a little bit of a challenge. And, and, because you know you, you, all that fiber and stuff, you get full, and so for people that are that that are struggling to maintain weight, leading a very active lifestyle, there are a lot of strategies you can use to kind of be sure you are getting enough calories. So you know, frequent snacks, maybe adding some of the healthier, a little bit higher fat foods like avocados and nuts as part of your snacking. Um, um, you know, instead of eating kind of the three traditional meals a day, three meals plus a mid morning, mid afternoon, maybe an evening small snack. So there's lots of ways to, to, to be sure you're getting plenty of calories. And if you're worried about it, um, oftentimes, you know, this comes up and oftentimes patients will say, you know, I don't think I'm getting enough calories or I'm not getting enough protein or whatever. Sometimes I will have them actually track their food intake for a couple of days on an app like my, you know, my fitness pal or lose it. Or the one I like is called chronometer where you literally just enter everything you in. And, and, and most people are quite pleasantly surprised that in fact, they are getting more calories if, more than enough calories they're getting more than enough protein and and um so, so most of the time these concerns are you know it's, they're they're just concerns and 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 they're in reality uh your all of your nutritional needs are being met you know, you, you would talk about caloric density versus nutrient density. And just this past weekend, I was crunching some numbers. I was trying to figure out something clever to do uh, on Instagram. And I'm like, okay, well, famously with that 10,000 calorie daily diet of mine, how many pounds of spinach would I have to eat for that <laughs> to equal 10,000 calories? And it was somewhere in the ballpark of 100 pounds of yeah, spinach. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, just a ridiculous, uh, right. ridiculously high number. And there's no way myself or anyone else is going to come close to a hundred pounds of spinach in right, a day. Right. It's and, just and not possible. So how, so, so I'd, I'd be curious to know that what that number would be for Krispy Kreme donuts, right? Uh, 
Oh, it ain't a hundred pounds, man. I mean, well, maybe, maybe 10 donuts. I don't, I don't know, man. It's like 10 donuts, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, okay. We were just talking a little bit about measuring nutrients. A follow-up question from Maria. You were talking about those apps. Is that the best way for someone to measure their nutrient intake or is that somewhat overblown? Well, so, so first of all, the reason that the re that there's a reason that our brains are not very good at all this, right? Because you have to remember that all of our, all of the brain power that we have around food evolved to keep us from starving to death in a world of, of calorie scarcity, right? So basically we evolved to eat anything we could eat whenever we found it, right? And so we didn't really have to worry about, you know, oh, am I getting too much, too many calories, too many, too much fat, you know, on and on and on because, because, because we just ate it when we found it. And in the, in the modern world, you know, we no longer have that. So our brains are now our brains are pretty good at looking at a plate of food and, and saying, yeah, this looks pretty healthy. But over the course of a few days or a week or a month, trying to figure out exactly how many grams of fiber you got and am I getting too much fat, our brains are terrible at that. And, and the, the other reason that our brains are not very good at this is, is the simple fact that many of our food choices occur outside of our conscious awareness. And again, that, that's by evolutionary design. You know, if you had to think about walking, for example, contract my quad, flex my hip in my knee, you would have walked right past the right berries. You wouldn't have seen the leopard and you wouldn't have lasted very long. And so our brains evolved a mechanism. We habituate a task, whether it be walking or eating or the model of driving very quickly, our subconscious brain takes over. So we forget that all of our food choices, foods we like, foods we don't like, how we cook the food, environmental triggers to eat the food, you know, emotional triggers to eat the food, all that stuff you know, becomes automated very quickly. We make a tremendous number of these kind of subconscious food choices that are, they almost become like free food because they never register. Um, and the other problem we have around food is that, you know, we're pretty good at regulating the trees, but we oftentimes miss the forest. And, you know, 10, 12 years ago, if you asked me if I eat healthy, I'd say, well, sure, you know, low fat dairy, lean meat, fruits and vegetables, whole grains. And I try not to eat too much ice cream because moderation is the key, right? Well, a lot of the disconnect that led me kind of down the, the path to ill health, you know, had to do with that, that very fact. So, you know, Monday, the nurses bring cookies in the office and Tuesday, I have a donut in the doctor's lounge. Wednesday, I, you know, I go out for a cheeseburger. Thursday, it's someone's birthday. I have cake and ice cream. Friday rolls around. I'm thinking, wow, I eat really healthy this week. I only ate cookies once. So, so again, that's why we, if we really want to get a handle on our, on, on exactly what we're eating, I think it is, uh, I think it is a useful exercise to, to, to use a, a food tracking app. And they're, they're actually quite accurate. You know, they're very tedious. It's not something I recommend doing all the time, but maybe pick a 24, 48 hour window over the course of a couple of days, enter, enter everything you eat and just spot check yourself and, and really be sure that you're meeting your nutrient requirements. And that, frankly, for people on a whole food plant-based diet, I only have them check two things. Um, and that's their fiber intake, which needs to be as close to 50 grams a day as you can get. That's a lot. And your fat intake, you know, 30, maybe 35 grams a day, which is not very much. And, um, and if you hit those, those two goals, um, then, then you're, you're doing better than most and, and you're going to be getting all the nutrients you need and all the calories you need, frankly. Man, you, you are spot on as far as like rattling off all of those various treats that you would have on every single day. But then when Friday comes, I was really good. I only had cookies once. Right. You're absolutely right. But you forgot about the cake and the ice cream right. and everything else, man. I've heard about that time and again. And by the way, uh, while you were given that answer, uh, part of me for just kind of stepping back and, and 
tuning you out for a second. I went to the Krispy Kreme website and I looked up the nutritional value of the donut. So it's 190 calories per donut. So that's roughly 52 of those bad boys to get up to 10,000 calories. So I think theoretically, you absolutely, somebody could eat 52 of oh, those sure. in a oh, day. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I don't think they would feel very well. No, no, they certainly wouldn't. But it's doable. It's doable. So, so I, you know, so I want to just, I want to throw in about Krispy Kreme donuts. And this is very interesting to me. So, you know, one of the problems with eating healthy is, is, is us trying to overcome this evolutionary inertia around not starving to death, right? So we're born with a we're born with an inborn preference for sweet, and one of the theories is 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 that is that if it's sweet, it's probably not poisonous. If it's bitter or sour, it might be because the alkaloids and such that make those foods bitter are actually poisons the plants make in low doses to keep away predators. So we have a preference for sweet. In fact, we we make dopamine uh, when we see or think about something sweet, which makes us feel good. We have an inborn preference for things that are fat because fat has nine grams per uh, nine calories per gram while carbohydrate and protein only have four calories. So the more fatty foods we had to find, the less food we had to find because we got twice bigger, twice as many calories, right? We also have, as, we have a preference to spend as few calories as possible to get more food um, than we possibly can. And the reason is, if you need a thousand calories to survive tomorrow and you don't have to spend any energy to get it, you only have to find that thousand calories. But if you have to spend a thousand calories to find the thousand, now you get to find 2000. So think about what that means in the modern world. It means that the drive-through at Krispy Kreme is the most highly evolved food source on the planet, right? And I guarantee you that the people at Krispy Kreme know that, right? And 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 that's why many of the times these these food companies hijack the fat and the salt and the sugar content of the food because they know that's exactly what our brains are looking for. So 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 you're you're onto something with those Krispy Kreme donuts, frankly. Listen to that man. He knows what he's talking about. Krispy Kreme wasn't necessarily my jam, but there is a very specific reason why I craved Taco Bell literally every single right. day. Right. Those recipes are fine-tuned to make you crave them like right. no other. Right. Um, let's get back on a healthier track. I want to go back to uh, we're still talking about caloric density now and, and making sure that we don't lose too much weight, but doing this in a healthier fashion question from indigo wondering whether pasta or avocados are more likely to make a person gain weight well so 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 one way to think about when we're thinking about our food choices is think about our food like we think about money right when we have extra money we want to invest it in our in our financial future what we're looking for is a positive roi positive return on investment right well that's how we should think about our calories because every calorie you put in your mouth it is either an investment in your health future or it's not. And what we want is a positive return on investment. So let's just say you have 100 calories to spend in the moment. You can spend it on pasta or you know avocados or beans or 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 or, or, or whatever. Uh, you know olive oil because that was healthy or chicken breast or whatever. So what's the nutritional ROI of each of these look like? Well, when we spend 100 calories on pasta, so pasta, it you know depending on what type of pasta you're eating. It's fairly highly refined, so so you know you take you take a whole like a whole grain of 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 food of of of, of, uh, of wheat, you know it has it has the bran on it which has fiber and it has the wheat germ which has has healthy omega threes and vitamins and nutrients. And then you have the kernel of the wheat which is where all the carbohydrates are. And in general, most pastas 
there are some whole grain pastas out there. But when we when we eat pasta, we've kind of stripped away all of the other stuff, and we're just eating the the ground up kernel, which has been you know mixed with some water and made into a dough and rolled into pasta. So what's your nutrition return on investment on 100 calories of pasta? Well, it's mainly just sugar, right? There's no fiber, you know, any vitamins that are in there. They've added back because they threw away all the vitamins. That's when you see the word enriched wheat flour. That's what that means, actually. It means that they threw away the good parts of the wheat, the, the kernel of wheat, and they had to spray the vitamins back on it, right? Now you take an avocado. Now avocado is nutrient dense. I mean, it's is somewhat, somewhat much calorically dense because of the fat, but but most of those fats are healthy fats. And but what else you're getting? You're getting vitamin C, which you don't get in pasta. You're getting you're getting you know fiber, which you don't get. In, you get a little bit in pasta, especially if it's whole grain, but not nearly as much as in an avocado. There's lots of vitamin C and and, and vitamins and nutrients. So so you know I, I think the idea here is you want to eat food as close to the ground. Is it is it grew, if you will, or the tree in the case of an avocado? So now avocados and nuts are two whole foods you do have to be a little bit careful with because again they are quite they are much more calorically dense than many of other the other whole food choices that you can make. But in the context of what I said a minute ago a minute ago about how at least I think about a healthful diet, within the context of limiting your fat intake to maybe 30, 35 grams a day, avocados are fine. What you probably don't want to do is just get a whole avocado and a spoon and, and, and eat it, which is I've been known to do. Um, but a slice of avocado on a burrito or you know, cubed up into a salad, um, you know, a, a quarter of an avocado, something like that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Pasta you have to be a little bit careful with. And the other problem with pasta is the way we eat it, right? I mean, if you're going to eat pasta, that should be like one quarter of the dish. Pasta is the star of the dish typically, right? And, and that's how we eat this big, huge plate of pasta in the olive oil and all that kind of stuff. So, so I think pasta is okay. You want to get as, you know, as true whole grain pasta as you can get, but you want to make that a side dish and, and, you know, avocados are fine, but, but you have to be a little bit careful there as well. Is there a particular pasta that you would recommend as being the best option, whether it be maybe chickpea or whole wheat or whatever the case? Yeah, so I, you know, you just have to look at the nutrition label, and and the, what part of the problem with with whole grain pasta, whole grain bread, whole grain whatever, has to do with the way the USDA allows labeling laws. So you you can you don't have to have a lot of true whole grain and pasta to call it whole grain pasta. It's mixed in with enriched wheat flour as well, but you know it's a different it's a different mouthfeel, right? Because those typically have a lot more gluten in them, so it's a lot stiffer. You don't get that tender mouthfeel you do like a al dente pasta. That's that's you know made out of durum wheat or whatever, so um, 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 I you know I don't know any I don't have a particular brand that I use, but I do I'm very careful with the uh, with with the with the grains. And frankly, I just don't eat a ton of pasta anymore. I mean, just because of the nature of my diet. Right. Um, and you know you can you can they they do make you know you can get lentil pasta, chickpea pasta. My experience with those is if you're if you're looking for pasta, it's not the same experience. Um, it's different. Um, it's a noodle, but it, it's, you know, thinking you're going to get the same thing your, you know, your Italian grandmother made uh, <laughs> when you're using red lentil pasta is probably not going to, you're probably not, it's probably not going to be that same uh, experience. You a zoodle guy? You like the zucchini I noodles? I do zoodles. I do, especially, especially, you know, as we're coming in the summer and, and zucchini and things are all, uh, are, 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 are out there. I, I do have a zoodle maker and I do use zoodle. That's a, that's a great way to, to make a, a pasta dish with almost no calories. I mean, you talk about nutrient dense. Um, that's a great way to do that, actually. 
for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the and the marinara just blends so well with it too. Right. It, it, it's right. just tomatoes and zucchini. I mean, they pair well together naturally. So why wouldn't this work with the zoodles and the pasta sauce? And it absolutely is right. like a marriage made in heaven. Right. Um, Brandy has a question. You were just talking about nuts, and she's like, "Okay, well, I was in a debate over the weekend talking about almonds versus peanuts. We're a couple of nutrition nerds. Which is the healthier of the two, Doctor Loomis?" Well, like many many food choices that we make, um, you know, so, some, some aspects of almonds are healthier and some aspects of peanuts are healthier. Um, you know, for, for example, uh, you know, one may have a little more fiber than the other. One may have a little more of this vitamin or, or that vitamin. One may have a little more fat than the other. So, so I, I think they they both are healthful and, and they both play a role, but, you know, again, when, when we think about how we eat, you know, I, I would hope that you're not just surviving on peanuts. You know, I, I eat peanuts. I put pe I like to make Thai food, for example, and there's a lot of so oftentimes there's peanuts in those dishes. Um, sometimes I'll make like a, a peanut butter, a West African peanut butter, sweet potato stew or something like that. I also use a lot of almonds, though, as well. Right. I'm, you know, so I use almond butter, um, things like that. So I, I think the answer here is that they both have their pros and cons. You have to be careful with both because of what I said earlier about, about they are quite, quite calorically dense because of the extra fat. Um, but I think they both play a role in a healthful diet and, and they both have their, 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 you know, I don't think you could argue that one is healthier than the other. Um, if you go line by line, it probably balances out when you get to the bottom line. So, so I think they're both equally as helpful, healthful. <laughs> So Maurice just sent me a message on Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC. And she's like, you guys are killing me with all of this donut talk today. She's like, so listen, I have a sweet tooth. If I'm not going to eat regular sugar like that, what do you recommend for using as a sweetener? Well, so, um, you know, so, so if you're looking for a true sweetener that, you know, most of the sweeteners are are refined, right? So, so, so I do use a little bit of maple syrup sometimes if I'm making like a, like I'll make like a, uh, one of the things I like to make is a avocado silken tofu chocolate mousse. And I'll, I'll put a little bit of, 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 um, maple syrup in there. Now it is, you know, highly processed. There's no fiber, uh, not, not highly processed. It's somewhat processed, but, but there's no fiber in it. Um, you know, Dr. Greger, I think Michael Greger on his on his website, nutritionfacts.org, did a did a, a video about this a number of years ago. And I think his conclusion was date sugar, because date sugar, basically, it's just whole whole dates, which have been dehydrated and then ground up. Um, uh, and so they still have the fiber in it. The, the problem is, depending on what you're trying to switch, that's great for things like oatmeal and and, and things like that. But if you're trying to sweeten your tea or coffee, that doesn't work so well because uh, the, it's not soluble. The fiber is obviously not soluble. You know, the there are some plant-based plant-based sweeteners like stevia. I, you know, there's some research suggests that it may create some health problems. It's not very robust. I, I think worst case scenario, you know, something like that or monk fruit sweetener. That's another one people use. Um, but again, you know, it's what's interesting to me is, is, is after, you know, I've been plant-based, you know, almost 10, 11 years now, my palate has changed and I don't really crave and need that, all that sweetness that, that I, that, you know, that, that, that used to drive me to, to, to put sugar in everything and sugar in my coffee and sugar in my tea and sugar in my oatmeal and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, I've kind of lost that. I think, and I think, I think a lot of people experience that. Um, but again, my kind of, the other thing that, that I use sometimes for, for sweetener, if I'm making a, even in more savory dishes is date paste, which is just, you take medjool dates and you grind them up with a little water and boil it. And, and then you can put that in a, in a, in a, uh, in a container, put it in your refrigerator, um, things like that. Date paste is another thing that, that, you, that I use. Sometimes I'll just, if I'm looking to sweeten up a smoothie, I'll just throw a couple of dates in there. Um, that's a great source of sweetness, sweetness as well. And for snacks and things like that, you know, like I, I'll take like this time, the grapes, I'll just put grapes in the freezer and I want a, a sweet snack. I just eat some frozen grapes. So that's a great way to get that sweetness that we all crave on occasion uh, without, without using a bunch of more highly processed sugar. Oh yeah. I'm a huge fan of dates. Those things are so versatile and uh, you're, you're spot on. I, I've been known to throw a medjool date or two in a smoothie. Um, and I, it just never goes wrong, but you're funny though, about how the palate evolves over time. I remember like I, I'm still to this day because I still identify as a recovering food addict. I'm still to this day, just petrified of eating anything like ice cream, like I once did. Right. So I won't do that. But I remember one time just having a sip of grape juice. Right. And I was just like, it was just yeah. way too much. It was just like hyper sweet to the point where it did not taste good to me at all. Right. Like a matter of fact, it was disgusting. Same, same thing. Same thing. Salt yeah. too. Salt's the other thing. You know, you get rid of the salt and all of a sudden things that, you know, you eat a piece of bread sometimes and, and, and you can taste the salt in it, right? That you never tasted before. Uh, because when our palate gets, when we clean out our palate and let it reset, things that, 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 you know, used to get that salty taste. We were so sensitive to it. You know, you take the salt shaker and shake, shake, shake. Well, now just a touch of salt gives, you know, is, is more than enough. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really interesting how our palates reset uh, after we adapt a healthful diet over time. All right. Mike is joining us a little bit late. Uh, wants to go back to, uh, we were talking about the caloric density and weight loss a little bit earlier in the show. Mike is wondering how he can lose weight while still maintaining muscle mass while eating a vegan diet. So as long as you're not, um, as long as you're not starving yourself to death, you, you will make, I mean, we don't burn, burning muscle is the last, is our, is, is when we're done. So let's, so let me back up. So the way we fuel ourselves when we're, you know, through the day is, so we have, we have, we have glycogen um, stored in our muscle and liver cells. And we use that for energy, you know, to get through the day when, when we move. Um, obviously the more movement you have, if you're running and things like that, the more glycogen you, you, um, you burn. And then we have a lot of fat. So we have enough glycogen to run for about you know two hours. We have enough fat to run for about a week. Um, so we, we, we use our fat stores. We don't start burning muscle until you're done with all that, right? Till you've burned all your glycogen and then we switch to fat. And once you, when you've used up all your fat, that's, that's when we start switching over to, 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 glyco to, to muscle. So you, in, unless you're on some crazy ultra low calorie diet, you don't really have to worry about using losing muscle mass per se, as long as you continue to you know to exercise to to work out and and, and do a little lifting. Now the, you know the other the more common problem I hear is how you gain muscle mass and lose weight, right? So how do you put on lean body mass? And again, um, I think it's just it's it's eating a healthy diet and 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 burning that burning that um, um, bur you know burning that fat preferentially. And you, there's ways, there's strategy you can do that. Um, you know, my friends Matt Frazier and Robert Cheek in their book uh, "Plant-Based Athlete," 
uh, they, they have some very specific advice on, on how to do exactly that, how to, how to, to, to lose body fat and gain lean muscle mass. Uh, and there's some strategies you can do to do that um, with, with, without, you know, where, where you're getting both of those goals in without going crazy, without, without some crazy extreme diet. Yeah. And, and let me just take a second and add to that from the patient perspective. And I think I know where Mike is coming from because this was still one of my big concerns when I was losing weight. I was like, I don't want to lose all of my muscle mass. As a matter of fact, that was even like a, an excuse I would tell myself why I should not even try to lose weight was because I would no longer be as strong as I once was. And so am I honestly as strong as I was when I was 420 pounds? No. But at the end of the day, I'm also not carrying around 420 pounds say. with every step. It, it yeah. would be impossible to keep up with that. So yeah. don't let that be a, a, a stumbling block for you. Like there's just no reason and, right. and you're going to be okay. You're still going to be plenty strong, even if you're not walking around with as much weight as you once did. You're going to feel so good. You're not even going to care if you're benching 20 pounds less. It's right. just not going to matter to you. I mean, I mean, that's kind of crazy to think that you're leg pressing 400 pounds every time you stood up. Dude. Like I used to be able to leg press like 14, 1500 pounds when I would actually make an attempt and go to the gym. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, but I don't think I, can, I don't think I could do well, that today, but I wouldn't that. trade it for the world either. Right. Right. So I was going to say, if the choice is weigh 400 pounds, leg press 1500 pounds or, or, or weigh whatever you weigh now and, and leg press 200 pounds, you know, I'm just telling you, <laughs> you're yeah. in a much better place today than you were then, right? No question about it. I'm around to leg press whatever. I'm not sure if I had stayed on that track, if I would even be around no, right, to, exactly to leg right, press right, a right, pound. Right. Um, <laughs> I want to switch gears a little bit. This is a really interesting question from Joe. And honestly, Dr. Loomis, it made me laugh initially because I was like, it's actually, it's a funny question, but it's, it's a good one. Joe is like, what happens to all of that plaque that's clogging your arteries when you reverse heart disease? Where does it go? Can it break off? Can it throw yeah. a clot? I don't know. Well, so first of all, the plaque in, in our arteries isn't on top of the blood vessel, okay? It, it's actually underneath. So, so what happens is when we, when we develop coronary artery disease, your coronary arteries here, there's a single cell lining here called the endothelium. And, and what happens is, is the endothelium starts to become dysfunctional and we get LDL molecules that migrate underneath it into what's called the subendothelium. And, and, and that, create, that creates inflammation. So it attracts these inflammatory cells, which gobble up all the LDL cholesterol, and, and the cells die, and it attracts more inflammation. And so all of a sudden, we've got like a scar underneath our blood vessel wall. And so the plaque, when we talk about plaque, it's actually not st stuck onto you know, it's not stuck on to the lining of the, of the, of the, of the, of the blood vessel so that it can break off and go somewhere. What happens when you have a heart attack is that plaque actually ruptures. So the plaque, which is underneath ruptures through the blood vessel wall and the, and your body forms a blood clot on top of that. That's actually what causes the, the, uh, that's actually what causes the heart attack, right? And if a piece of that, if it's in your neck, you can get a little piece of that, that, that blood that breaks off and can cause a stroke. So, so strokes and heart attacks don't come from the plaque breaking off per se. It comes from a blood clot that forms on top of the blood vessel wall when that plaque, that subendothelium ruptures, right? And so as we start to heal these plaques, heal these scars, slowly but surely, our bodies will start to resorb that scar tissue, just like you know, imagine you fall and you scrape your knee and there's a scab on top, right? 
And, 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 and so, and slowly but surely as, as our body starts to heal, we slowly heal the wound underneath the scab kind of disappears and it's kind of the same concept. So, so, you know, all that, that plaque literally gets kind of reabsorbed. We, as we, when we, you know, Dr. Gregor talks about, you know, if you, if you took, if you woke up every morning and you, and you hit your shin with a hammer and you've got this chronic sore, this chronic, this chronic wound there, right. Um, um, you know, the answer to fix, you know, the answer to, to that's not take an Advil every day because it hurts. It's to stop hitting your shin with a hammer, right? Well, when we, that's what, that's what essentially what we're doing to our blood vessel walls when we eat an unhealthy diet, we're taking a hammer to the, to the blood vessel wall every single day, every meal when we're eating all this dietary cholesterol mm -hmm. and saturated fat and smoke and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're, we're just, we're just hammering our blood vessel wall every day. Well, guess what happens when you stop hammering your shin? You know, the wound will heal. And that's exactly what happens with, with our blood vessel and inside our blood vessels when we, when we, when we stop hitting them with a hammer every day. It's, you know, our bodies want to heal. We're designed to heal. Um, it, but it's this, this constant healing and re-injury, healing re-injury, which is actually the root cause of the problem. And so when we stop re-injuring the blood vessel and let, just let it heal, that's when the plaque starts to reverse. Right. Okay. So note to self, do not hit shin with hammer. <laughs> okay. Got it. Thank you, Dr. Loomis. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. So, so it, it really is. I mean, it, it's, it is that simple kind of. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I think, yeah. When it comes to something like that, simplicity can be the key. I mean, you can overcomplicate things, you can simplify them. And, and certainly nobody thinks that hitting their shin with a hammer is a good All idea. Right. So well, it's the same thing with with many chronic diseases we treat, right? So, so Chuck, if you are on a blood a, a medicine to lower your cholesterol, okay, or to lower your blood sugar, and you are having a side effect from that medicine, okay, and you and I'm your doctor, and you come to me and say, Doc, listen, I, my muscles are really sore. I'm on the statin, and I'm sore all over. You know, whatever. Uh, what 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 should I do? W would you rather me give you an, a prescription for another drug to treat the side effect? Or would you want me to ch change the medicine, right? Well, probably want me to change the medicine, right? Well, all those drugs, bloods for blood pressure, drugs for cholesterol, drugs for sugars, well, they're actually treating the side effect of the most powerful medicine you have available to you, and that's the food you eat. So why in the world would we want to just keep throwing drugs to treat the side effect of the medicine instead of just changing the medicine because food is medicine and it's such a simple concept. And when I tell that to patients, they're like, Holy cow. I, like I never thought of it that way, but, but it's true. And so, so when we, when we change the medicine from, you know, the standard American diet, say to a whole food plant-based diet, well, guess what? The side effects go away and you don't need these other pills to treat those side effects like type two diabetes, high blood pressure, hypercholesterol, anemia, et cetera. And so again, it, it really is this, you know, simplicity. I, I think we, we, we overthink and it's so overcomplicate health today that, that, you know, we just need to make it simple. That's right. Hey, treat, treat the root cause. But you know, every time that we have a discussion like that, it reminds me of the story that somebody once told me about how, when they changed up their diet, they went on a plant-based diet, they took meat out and um, their cholesterol plummets. Yeah. But then their doctor advises them to resume eating meat so that they can continue to take their cholesterol lowering drug. And it's just like- It's insane. Really? 
That's insane. Really? It's no. Yeah, it didn't didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, doctor's mailbag, since uh, it has a little bit of everything in there, let's bounce around here. Um, take another question. This one from Anne: Can a vegan diet help someone who suffers from asthma? Yes, the answer is yes. There's clear evidence around that, and so the way you know, so so it's interesting. So I used to have asthma. I used to have horrible allergies, seasonal allergies, um, and um, I went on a plant-based diet about 10, 12 years ago. So many of you may know my story, but you know, I had developed, uh, I'd injured my knee playing with my dog and I didn't do the rehab. I had to wait three months to get surgery. So I started to gain weight because I couldn't exercise. And then I didn't really do the rehab after surgery. I gained more weight. And next thing I know, I went into atrial fibrillation and my cholesterol went through the roof and, you know, on and on and on. So I became a patient and, you know, my doctors are treating me, you know, they're playing whack-a-mole with my health, frankly, you know, up pops my cholesterol, here's some pills, up pops my you know, irregular heart rhythm, here's some more pills, on and on and on. One day I saw Forks Overnight, he's went plant-based. Well, so I, three or four months later, I come out the other end, I expected to lose weight, which I did, you know, 50 pounds. I expected my cholesterol to go down, which it did, you know, 100 points off meds. I expected my sleep apnea to get better, it did, it went away. I expected my AFib to get better, it did. But what I didn't expect, was my lifelong chronic allergies and asthma to get to go away because I knew I'd been skin tested. I knew I what I was allergic to. I knew the pollens and the you know the pollen and the mold and the and the dust and all that kind of stuff that triggered my asthma. I knew very specifically what it was. So I thought to myself, now why in the world would going on a plant based diet fix my asthma or my allergies or, or whatever? And and as I started to kind of dig into that, the science behind that. You know, I, 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 I developed the following analogy. So, so, you know, if we think about our bodies as a house and, and each room in the house is an organ system, right? So we have a respiratory room, we have a joint room, we have a skin room, we have a thyroid room, we have a brain room, we have a, a gut room. Um, well, imagine that you fill your house up with people that are really angry and imagine a stranger wanders into the house, right? Well, depending on the nature of the stranger and what room they wander into dictates kind of what happens, the clinical state. They come in the respiratory room, you got asthma and allergies. They come in the, the joint room, you've got, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or, or lupus or, 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 you know, osteoarthritis. They come in the skin room, you've got psoriasis or eczema. They come in the thyroid room, you got thyroiditis. So where are these strangers coming from? Where are the angry people coming from? They're coming from our diet. Because the standard American diet is highly, highly inflammatory. You know, too much saturated fat, not enough dietary antioxidants. Where are the strangers coming from? Well, we can breathe them in, in, the, in for example, with asthma or allergies. But many of those strangers are probably also coming in through our gut. That's a whole nother, that we could do it. We, you know, you, I know you've, you've had people that know a lot more about gut microbiome on your show than me. But we, you know, we do a lot to disrupt our gut microbiome. So when we go on a plant-based diet, what happens is we do two things. We, we kick all the angry people out of the house because now we're eating an anti-inflammatory diet, very high fiber, low fat, lots of dietary antioxidants. Over time, you hear your gut microbiome. But, and, and so many of these chronic autoimmune diseases like lupus and, and, and rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis go away. But even these respiratory illnesses get better because even though you've still got strangers coming into the house, now everyone's sitting around drinking green tea and listening to Mozart. So you don't get this intense inflammatory response. So you don't start sneezing and, and your eyes itching and wheezing anymore because now that there's no angry people to fight off the stranger. And, and, I, and, and th that's a 
kind of a sim- Reader's Digest simplistic version, but at its core, that's that's the answer, I think, as to why a whole food plant-based diet is such a powerful tool in treating many of these kind of inflammatory, chronic inflammatory slash autoimmune diseases like asthma, allergies, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, or even things like ulcerative colitis, you know, on and on and on. Would the same benefit though be extended to someone? And because we, we've heard this as well, it's like, well, look, you know, I'm eating a plant-based diet, but then, okay, what specifically are you eating? And it's a lot of those heavily processed frozen plant-based dinners that you see in the frozen food section, whether it be, you know, the impossible burger or a lot of garden, the fish fillet or fried chicken or whatever the case may be, they're still having some symptoms, perhaps not to the degree that they once were, but why would that be? Well, because, because, you know, you know, I think that there's a lot of conflation these days between a vegan diet and a whole food plant-based diet. As you know, veganism historically comes from a place of compassion, which is a good thing, right? So we don't want to harm other creatures. So so don't wear them, don't eat them, don't use products tested on them. But there are a lot of really unhealthy things that are vegan. You can get vegan ice cream, vegan cupcakes, and and Oreos, and and popcorn, and you know potato chips, and French fries. Um, all are vegan, but all highly processed, highly inflammatory. Beyond Burger is a good example. I mean, a Beyond Burger is better for the cow. It's better for the environment compared to a hamburger. It's a little bit better for you, but it's not a health food. Highly processed. 30% of the calories come from fat, saturated fat, primarily coconut oil, on and on and on. So so that's not what I talk about when I talk to my patients about eating healthy. It's a whole food plant-based diet, which is vegan in the sense there's no animal products, but it also eliminates all of these highly processed foods. And again, you know, we've talked about this before, I think, on the show, Chuck, that the way I think about this is if I want to try to understand this, I try to put it into the context of our evolutionary biology. And so what did our ancestors eat? Well, in temperate climates, we weren't hunter-gatherers. We were gatherer-hunters. And what we gathered was unrefined plants, was roots and stems and leaves and seeds and fruits and nuts and vegetables and legumes. I mean, there was there was not a canola oil bush or a Dr. Pepper nut or a you know, white flower <laughs> tree, right? So, so all this highly processed stuff. I mean, think about your car. You don't put you don't put diesel gas in your car in moderation and expect it to run right. Well, all that stuff's like putting diesel gas in your car. And 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 when we first opened up here at the Barnard Medical Center, you know, we had a lot of ethical vegans who came in here who had the same set of medical issues that everybody else had. Because I think some people think, oh, I'm vegan, it must be healthy, and that's certainly not necessarily true. And so, kind of a quick and easy mental exercise you can go through if you you know if you if you're if you're contemplating buying some packaged food or whatever is to look at the ingredients and try to envision them individually out on the table in front of you and if you could readily identify where each of those ingredients comes from it's probably okay to eat but if you can't it's probably not and so take a beyond burger impossible burger and you put those ingredients on the table what do you see we're well, going to see a big pile of brown powder which is, you know, pea pro- modified pre-protein, pea pre- protein. Um, you're going to see a bowl of clear liquid, which is coconut oil. And there might be some herbs and spices you recognize. But the vast majority of those ingredients, you, you have no idea inherent, you know, in, inherently where they came from. You make a black bean burger at home or, you know, you, you and there are, you, there, are pro- there are packaged foods that, that pass this criteria. But say a, a black bean burger, you've got a a bowl of black beans and maybe some shredded up sweet potato or beets to go in there, maybe some cilantro, maybe some oats to bind the burger. You've got some herbs and spices. I mean, you know exactly where that stuff came from. And so, 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 so again, it's, it's, there's a big difference between whole food plant-based diet 
and a vegan diet. And again, it's, it's, it is somewhat problematic. I mean, in general, uh, you know, the move toward plant, more plant-based foods is good. I'm not, certainly not discouraging it. I think things like Beyond Burgers have a role as a transition food or say you're driving across the country and the only food you can find is an impossible burger at Burger King. I mean, I get it, but, but, but those foods are inflammatory and you do need to be careful and they should not really be part of your day-to-day kind of uh, dietary intake. Really quick, because there is one more question that I want to sneak in before we wrap things up. Um, the patients who did come in and were relying on that heavily processed plant-based diet, were they able to see a lot of their symptoms resolve in the oh, same yeah. way somebody oh, switching course. over from the sad diet would? Of course, of course. Because that's that's kind of sad light is what, you know, plant, <laughs> you know, I mean, so 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 it's like a meatless sad diet, right? Basically, uh, you know, when, 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 for, for, for those people that are eating more of a junk food diet, it's kind of sad light. Uh, but, but, but when we, but, you know, again, they should, they have the same incredibly really profound health benefits that everybody else has when you transition to a whole food plant-based diet. I mean, they may not have been starting, you know, you know, it, someone who's eaten, you know, going to, going to, uh, McDonald's, you know, seven days a week, maybe way over here is a starting point. These people may be, you know, here, but they all get to here, you know, back over to here when they, when they, um, when they've adapt a healthier whole food plant-based diet. All right. Let's end with something completely different. And this is a question uh, that came up in the chat during the live show with uh, Dr. Barnard last week. And it's one, it's also a claim that I've seen kind of bouncing around a little bit more frequently uh, in the uh, interwebs as it were. And that is the claim that vegetables have no nutritional value, unlike meat, which has an abundance of it. So AJ's question is, why can some people claim that vegetables have no nutritional value? Well, I could answer that in a way that probably wouldn't be very politically correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 uh, uh, you know, I, I think people claim that because they have, they, they haven't looked at the science and, you know, they're following some of these people on Instagram or, or wherever that advocate this, this carnivore thing. I mean, I don't know where you, I mean, we can start with our teeth if you want. Right. Um, so if you look at human teeth compared to say the teeth of a lion or a true carnivore, um, you know, those, those fangs and teeth they have are designed to shred meat. You know, our teeth are designed to chomp fibrous material. That's why we have the molars that we have. So that's, you can start there. Um, we have amylase in our saliva, um, which is a, is an enzyme to start breaking down, you know, carbohydrates and, 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 such because we're designed to eat plant foods. Uh, you look at the length of our intestine compared to a true carnivore. Uh, we need it, to absorb the nutrients out of plants. We need a longer intestine. So you take the intestine of a lion versus the intestine of a of a of a of a, of a human. Uh, you know, relatively, the human intestine is much longer because we need it to absorb the the nutrients. Um, so, so, so there's you know a lot of anatomy and physiology which supports the fact that that we are we just we are designed to be more herbivores. Um, there's lots of data. I mean, you know, nowadays with 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 the new DNA techniques, you can actually take the plaque, uh, you know, out of out of Neanderthal teeth and see what they ate, and you know, it's mostly plants. Um, I mean, the list goes on. And, and furthermore, I mean, if you back up, take, even take one step back. So where did all the protein and, you know, whatever in those 
and that meat come from to start with, right? What came from the plants that those animals ate? So this idea that somehow, well, you know, we're not designed to eat meat. I mean, plants, we designed to eat meat is absolutely ridiculous because the, the you know, the, the, the actual nutrients that, that are found in meat came from the plants that those animals ate. So, so that makes no sense kind of intellectually, logically. It, it, it's, it's mind-boggling, really, to, when people say that. We also know, if you look at the health data, we know that, that fiber deficiency is one of the leading causes of, you know, the average American gets 15 grams of fiber a day. We should be getting 50. Across the board, almost every single disease you can think of has, a, has, a, is, has an association with a low fiber intake, a low intake of, of fruits and vegetables, and a high intake of animal-based foods. Every single disease, Alzheimer's, heart disease, cancer, you know, I mean, on and on and on. So I, I don't know where they're getting this stuff, some alternative universe, maybe, I don't know. But, but um, you know, um, we can all have our own opinions, but we really can't have our own facts. And the facts are that we evolved to eat follow primarily a plant-based diet, at least in temperate climates. I'm not talking about the Inuits in the subarctic. There's some, that's a special kind of circumstance and they, they've evolved some, some, some physiology that we don't have to help them deal with those high, you know, living on whale and seal, whale meat and seal blubber and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. And the more temperate climates where we evolved, it, there's overwhelming evidence that, that, that we were primarily herbivorous and, you know, uh, we did eat meat. There's no doubt about it. But the thing was, you know, our ancestors probably had a survival advantage to having concentrated animal fat and protein because they needed to get big and strong and get away from leopard, find a mate before they died with some infectious disease when they were 30. So they didn't even have to worry about if I eat too much meat, am I going to get cancer or have a heart attack because they were already dead. And now that we've extended human life expectancy, you know, through sanitation and antibiotics, we've unmasked all these chronic conditions, as I just said, all associated with the overconsumption of animal-based foods and the underconsumption of plant-based foods. And, and, and because we're no longer starved for calories and we lead a much longer life, we have the luxury of skipping the middleman and going straight to the plants. So, uh, you know, there's more, but I, I'll leave it at that, right? That's, that's Clearly, clearly you're passionate, man. You were fired up for that answer. <laughs> I'm telling you, what a, what a way to wrap up the show. I mean, my goodness. I mean, boy, if we didn't raise your health IQ by a point or two today, I don't know what it's going to take, my friend. my blood pressure, though, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. He was going. You could have, man, I was ready to just, like, turn over the hosting reins to you. You were, you were gone, man. I loved it. Yeah, to, to me, what that shows is, though, that, that you genuinely believe in what it is that you work with your patients about, you know, um, because there's a lot of credible data to back that up. And so, you know, when there is uh, such a bizarre claim as vegetables have no nutritional value in there, I kind of, you know, I, I'm not going to give the, the long winded answer here, but I, I will say, like, let's just hit pause there take a step back and apply a little bit of common sense and right, just right, right. see well, what your mind says to you, right. you know, trust so, your gut in that case. You know, uh, so, so, so yeah. I'll, my birthday's coming up here in a few weeks and, you know, and, and, and you know, I, so I'm going to celebrate my 30th birthday again. Now I've just got one extra year of experience, right? So right. I'm still 30. Now I have 33 years experience. As you know, when I was 60, I did an Ironman triathlon to celebrate that. Do I look somehow calorie deficient, you know, because I only eat plants? I mean, the whole argument is just ludicrous. See, you got me going. I'll, I'll be quiet now. So, <laughs> but, uh, Look, well, let's let's take this show on the road, man. I think that we can we we can do some real damage at a veg fest or something like that. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Dr. Loomis, I greatly appreciate you being here today. And here's, here's the thing, right? We were just talking about Dr. Loomis being a passionate doctor. Well, uh, telemedicine visits are available at the Barnard Medical Center. And while you may have to wait a little bit of time to see Dr. Loomis, um, they are available if you live in Washington, DC, Florida, Maryland, Missouri, or Virginia. Um, I believe that you uh, are able to uh, see patients in any one of those states via telemedicine. Um, so that's, that's phenomenal news. That's so right. if somebody's looking to jumpstart their health, man, I, <laughs> I can't really think of anybody else who's more passionate than you to help them along the way. Well, now we do have two other providers in the office. And so we, there are some other states that I'm not licensed in that that's like New York and Texas and, and such. So if you go to our website, barnardmedicalcenter.org, uh, you can find a complete listing of all the states that our clinicians are licensed in. And I can guarantee you they are just as passionate and knowledgeable as I am about this because we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't. And I mean, this is just too important. And so, so, you know, if you live in and happen to live in a state where I'm not licensed, that doesn't mean you can't see one of our equally as passionate providers here at the Barnard Medical Center. For sure. So that's barnardmedical.org to schedule your appointment today and see a full list of states where services are available. Or if you want to do it old school, uh, you can pick up the phone and call 202-527-7500 to schedule that appointment. Dr. Loomis, thank you very much, my friend. This has been great. Good to see you, Chuck. Anytime. Be sure to join us live every Wednesday on YouTube and Facebook at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for the Exam Room Live. That is the best opportunity that you have to ask the experts your question right then and right there. But if you can't make it live, the schedule just does not permit. Don't worry about it. You can always send me your question ahead of time as well on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC. Just message me there. And let me know, here's a question for you. Have there been any challenges that you have faced when switching to a plant-based diet or any challenges that you have faced with your health at all? Heard from a lot of people facing that today. Robbie Lynn and their concern about getting enough calories eating a low-fat plant-based diet. And then Mike was concerned about losing all of his muscle as he begins to eat this healthier diet as well. And AJ needed help clearing up some confusion about that claim that vegetables don't have any nutrients in them. Really, your question could be about anything. If there's something that you're struggling with or you're like AJ and you just need some confusion cleared up, would love to hear from you. We want to help you as you head down this healthier road. So send me your questions on Instagram and Twitter at Chuck Carroll WLC, and we will do our best to be right there with you stride for stride to keep you going down this healthier path. Time now to get a check on news and some new research offering hope in the fight against arthritis. Let's head to the exam room news desk. Plant-based foods reduce the risk of knee osteoarthritis, and new data is showing the drop is significant. A study of nearly 250 people finds those who consume the most phytochemicals from foods such as kale, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and fruit had a 65% lower risk of osteoarthritis compared to those who largely left fruits and vegetables off their plate. Researchers believe the anti-inflammatory properties of plant foods are the key to the risk reduction. 
Osteoarthritis is among the most common forms of the degenerative disease, with as much as 85% of seniors believed to be suffering to some degree. The study is published in Scientific Reports, and you can find a link to it right now in the episode notes. Also there, you will find a link to reserve your seat for the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, August 18th through the 20th in Washington, D.C. 30 speakers over three days will be taking the stage. Plus, we're going to be recording live episodes of the exam room all throughout the conference. So come by and join us for a show or two. It would be so great to meet you. Now, here's a preview of everyone who will be speaking at that conference, many of whom also will then be on the show as well. Dr. Neil Barnard will be speaking. Dr. Alan Desmond, our friend from across the pond, he will be here, as will Dr. Kim Williams, phenomenal cardiologist from Rush University. He will be coming for the conference. Dr. Dean Ornish will be speaking, plus Cyrus Kambata and Robbie Barbero from Mastering Diabetes. My guys, they're coming to the conference as well. Plus the vegan roadie, Dustin Harder, will be in the house to talk about the new Universal Meals program. Dr. Gemma Newman also making the trip across the pond to join us for the conference and Dr. Robin Chutkin will be there and so many others. You can find a full list of speakers right now at pcrm.org ICNM. Everybody who will be there talking about the latest and greatest in nutrition research and advancing plant forward meals. Really can't wait for this. Plus, CME credits are available as are scholarships for nurses and dietitians. So please visit pcrm.org ICNM to save your seat today. Important that you do that because space this year is extremely limited. So act now. Reserve your spot. pcrm.org ICNM or just click the link in the episode notes. If you feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, please subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or Spotify, and also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. It really does help make the world a healthier place. Just by doing that, you can help to get this information that can quite literally change somebody's life, and at the very least, improve their health just by taking the five seconds right now to subscribe and leaving that five-star rating and a couple of nice words as a nice review. You can find a link to do all of that right now as well in the episode notes. And we do thank you in advance for helping to make the world a healthier place. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I would like to say once again, a huge thank you to Dr. Jim Loomis for coming on the exam room live, answering so many questions and raising our health IQs. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>